You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thursday, October the 13th. We're just two days out now from Kipco British Champions Day, the grand finale to the British season. It's drizzly here in TW11. It was more than drizzly overnight. And if Ascot have taken a bit of that, it will have turned the ground on the soft earth side, no doubt. But it's mainly dry the forecast between now with a few showers during the day on Saturday itself. Cornelius Lysett joins me this morning. Yesterday, Cornelius was convening a press conference with the trainer of the undefeated European champion elect, Baid William Haggis. Haggis has been a little quieter in the last couple of weeks in the lead up to this race. What sort of form did you find him on yesterday, Cornelius? Very good form, actually. Can I, can I just say, I just had, a, just had a text message from Ascot, 10 millimetres of rain in the last week and the ground, good to soft, soft in places now on both the round and the straight course. But as you say, uh, nothing much expected, uh, nothing really large expected between now and the start of racing on Saturday afternoon. William Haggis is a trainer that uh, has been very familiar to every aspect of the media, really, for, for a long time. He's been training, what, since the late 1980s, and he's always been one of the star players with the media. This year, it certainly hasn't become difficult, uh, and uh, he hasn't been, you know, hasn't been refusing interviews or anything like that. However, you know, he's probably been a tiny bit more guarded. Suddenly he's got this remarkable horse. So, and everybody, because the media wants to get this racing phenomenon going, because the the fans have been growing as well, um, people have been wanting to know more and more. And so I suppose we have on occasions become a, a, a little bit of a pain in the neck, probably. Uh, but he's dealt with it uh, mainly. But he's been always determined through the year and we're going to hear from him, I know, in a second, to not come up with that wild quote that will be the headline everywhere. Though he comes up with a quote that uh, could be described as, as as pretty wild in some respects, a great quote about Bayard's abilities, which you'll hear in just a moment. But yeah, he was in good form, lots of questions, lots of interest, and it was great stuff. All right, let's get a flavour of uh, undiluted haggis from, from yesterday. But it's been very hard this year to stick to my other little adage, which it is better to keep your mouth closed and appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubt. And uh, I've been talking a lot about this horse and it's, it's up to him now. Me, stop talking and let him do it. I think it's really important, seriously, that we, we keep a, a level head, especially at home, where everyone's obviously a little on edge because it means a lot to all of us. And we're all lucky to have had this horse while he's been in training with us. And every single person who works for us and is involved with us has enjoyed the ride immensely. But we can't go around getting tense and taut because he will then feed it. We just got to be normal. We just got to work normally and treat him as, as best we can as another horse in the yard. We've just everything so far this year has gone exactly how we wanted it to go uh, when we sat down in March to decide our programme. So 
you know, it's been a, a half a miracle to get to this uh, this situation uh, in the position we're in. Mm. The only uh, slight caveat is he may have gone to Ireland uh, because it sat very well in his programme. Uh, but uh, Shaker Hissel was very keen for him to have one more run after York, uh, either in the arc or the champion. And, uh, and we, we've probably made the right decision, as it turns out. Have you sort of prepared yourself in your mind for, for, for life after Baid? Don't really want to do that, Cornelius. Um, that's, that's negative thinking. So, uh, um, you know, we're in search at the moment uh, for the right one, but uh, I don't think it's uh, likely that we found it in the last three weeks of sales. And so many people have kindly wished us luck for Saturday. And I think a lot of people who love horse racing, and there are plenty of us, you know, I think they genuinely want to see him uh, strut his stuff and, and win the race. And, uh, um, you know, I think they want to see a really, really top horse unbeaten and um, and win in the style to which, I mean, I think they, they a lot of people really hope that. Of course we do. You know, we've got one race to go. I think Frankel obviously was unbeaten, but few are unbeaten uh, in a career at that level. And um, we haven't, obviously we want him to win every race he runs in. So I think it's it would be sad if he was beaten. Um, but probably only sad for us. It wouldn't be sad for the people who beat us. I wouldn't have a clue what makes him better. I wish we knew. I could then buy another one like him at the sale. But, but you know, he's he just got everything. And, and I've always likened my job to be the headmaster of a boarding school in that uh, the sixth formers every year, at the end of every year, they go and the new boys and, or girls come in and then we spend two years trying to work out uh, which of them have got talent. Well, this horse would get 10 A stars at, at, at GCSE. He'd be captain of rugby, cricket and football or hockey. He'd be, uh, um, he'd breeze into Cambridge. He'd be prime minister. You know, he's just got it all. He's that pupil that every headmaster is what you probably weren't that pupil, Marcus, but this horse is the pupil that every every headmaster wants. He's just good at everything he does. And I don't know why he's good at everything he does, but he just is. And there you go. And Cornelius, who was asking the questions, or most of the questions yesterday, is listening once again. And just reflecting on that, Cornelius, really, the affection that he has for the horse really built through the course of the interview, culminating in, as you say, the the quote that was published all over the papers today about him being a straight A-star student. Yeah, captain of rugby, cricket, football and hockey, breeze into Cambridge, could be prime minister. Should have gone to the 1922 committee in Parliament last night. Well, which, somebody, uh, for the... some, somebody pointed out he couldn't do any worse than the current incumbent. Well, absolutely. And those of you around the world unfamiliar with the 1922 committee, that's a conservative backbench MPs who aren't very pleased with the, or a lot of whom aren't very pleased with the prime minister at the moment. So I thought, A, that that, that was just a lovely quote uh, about the horse. Um, I, I, I just found it really interesting that he didn't want to go shouting and screaming about the horse. He wanted to keep everything no, as normal as possible because he didn't want uh, any sort of overexcitement to get transmitted uh, to, to the horse. 
The one other thing that struck me, Cornelius, in, in the interview particularly, was this emphasis about the horse retiring undefeated. Mm. And I, I was trying to imagine, and clearly, I, I don't want the horse to be beaten, but I do want something that looks like a horse race and not simply a coronation. I'd like well, to and see... Adiar ensures that yeah. that's not going to take place, doesn't he? I'd like to see Adiar and Baybridge and maybe one or two others run absolutely eyeballs out so mm. that Baid can really strut his stuff in, in, in dynamic fashion. You know, unbeaten is a word that looks good uh, or sounds good on the television, on the radio, on podcasts, in newspapers, etc. But does it matter? If he gets beaten, his, his reputation won't be solid, will it? Well, it'll... It probably will be sullied, but probably unfairly so, because I think that too much emphasis is placed on the whole notion of, of finishing a, a racing career undefeated. Brigadier Gerard didn't. Secretariat didn't. I think I think we're, we're living in the post-Frankel era, aren't we? And I think there's yes. so much so much of Frankel has informed has informed thinking about racing subsequently that yes. that, that people's appetite isn't sated sufficiently unless a horse's record is entirely blemish-free. And I think maybe that that's led to a certain amount of risk aversion in the way certain horses are campaigned. I'm not throwing that accusation here because I think, but for, but for different circumstances, William Haggis would have gone to the Irish Champion States with this horse, and I, I don't have a problem with him not having run in the yard. But I think that the whole idea of horses being undefeated is a... It, it, it doesn't... It doesn't really matter. It's not crucial. It's not the most important thing you can say about a horse at the end of his or her racing career. I think it's 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 it should be richer and more nuanced and more interesting than that. Yeah, and but 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 it is a word. And when the the um, the various uh, promotions come out, uh, as far as Bayed is concerned, when he's at stud, you know that that word, if it if it still applies, undefeated, will be big there as well, won't it? I think that what what he's achieved since the Midsummer of last year is is so astonishing. That performance the other day at, uh, at York was so fantastic. It's not, you know, he he will still be one of the greats, whatever happens on Saturday. But it would be nice, and it would be neat, and it would be good for the sport to be able to shout about undefeated if uh, if that run has uh, has continued. Uh, and you want all the other connections to be sporting enough to say, right, we're not going to. We're not going to run here to try and finish second. We want to win this race. We want to see what this horse is made of. And that's why I put in a call today to Adam Kirby, the man who won the derby last year on ADAR, but can now take a little bit of a, a sideways look at this uh, and asked him whether he felt that, that ADAR was a, a horse now, a fresh horse that could really put it up to Baid in the Kipco British Champion Stakes. Uh, yeah, I can't see why not. Um... I think uh, I think his, his comeback run. He was obviously um, very very impressive. He looked that way to me, um, and hopefully he's back to his very best. And I think um, I think he's definitely going to definitely going to put up put up, put up a bold show. And it wouldn't surprise me if he does serve it up to me. You know, he was a very very big three year old, and it looks to me like he's he's sort of really filled out into himself, and he's got a lot stronger. So um, you know, so I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. It's going to be going to be a very good race. I mean, if you were riding him and you were playing the race tactically, how would you how would you try and think about how to beat Baid? So basically, I'd um, you know just you know, I'll see how it unfolded, but I think um, that you know they're obviously two very very good horses, but Adar has got a very high cruising speed as well as 
sort of a gear change. Um, I'd be going out there open minded. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just be. Um, I wouldn't just follow him round and hope I'd beat him for a, for a gear change anyway. No, until the gates open, you don't. You don't. You don't know sort of how quick or how slow the, what's going to happen regarding the race. But um, but um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be turning it into a sprint anyway. Well, you have to go out there with have a couple of plans, really. You need plan A and plan B, just in case plan A is just just backfired a little bit on you after the first furlong. But, um, but listen, um, Williams, Williams, um, you know, he's obviously a, a top class um, jockey, and I'm sure he'll make the right decisions. But um, yeah, I hope um, I hope he does serve it up to him and get Ali deserves it. You've got a horse on on Saturday that you ride in a Group One who you've probably become quite fond of because he's produced two really smart efforts for you and that's Rohan who looked very good here last time he absolutely loves Ascot do you, do you go into the sprint with great hope this weekend yeah, I, I'm, um, I, I'd like to think so um, you know he's a very very fun horse to ride um, you know if he relaxes for the first half and he starts um, you know he comes underneath you and when he fills himself when he starts overtaking horses he um, you know he gains a a great deal of confidence and then he and then he shows his um what a great turn of foot he's got um but yeah he's he's, he's a very exciting horse to ride and and um you know hopefully the splits happen at the right time and he runs a big race and you know obviously he's won last time so he's, he's he should have gained a lot of confidence from that he um he didn't get roughed up he had a relatively easy enough race so i'd like to think that he'll be going there with with as much confidence as i am and Hopefully he can um, he can knock at the door. I wanted to pick your brain about a couple of horses I've seen you ride the last couple of days because it's that time of year where you might just see something a bit special. You rode a horse for Ammo Racing called King of Steel yesterday. He looked absolutely enormous on the on the screen. I mean, I mean two year old this horse, first time out. How big do you think he is? Well, he's he's, he's probably one of the biggest two year olds I think I've ever I've ever ridden sort of on, on on the track at too. Um, He's, he's every bit of he's every bit of seventeen hands. It wouldn't surprise me if he was seventeen one or seventeen two. You know, he's a, he's a big boy, and not only is he tall, he's very broad as well. You know, I think that he's a horse that's going to mentally take a, another step forward from that run. Um, so sort of he went round there, um, you know, um, just just sort of a small little bit green, sort of when he was travelling round. But then when I asked him to lengthen, he did, and he done that very nicely. Um, but I think I'm unsure of what the plan is, whether whether he's going to go for a big one before the end before the end of the year, or or whether they're going to just stick to another novice. But um, he's um, he felt quite special, quite special. And what about um, Caraggio, who you won on at Leicester? He's a half brother to the 2000 Guineas runner-up, tipped to win, trained by Roger Teal and owned like that horse by the breeder Anne Cowley. He beat a very well-regarded horse of Godolphin's called High Bank. By three lengths, was that a genuine measure of his of his ability? Do you think? Yeah, he, um, I got a really nice feel of him um, first time out. It was a bit babyish, and and when I saw sort of, when I, when, I, when I pulled him out to, to 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 let him down and let him off, he 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 quickened, and then when he got there, he just sort of had a look, and he just sort of lugged into the other horse for a bit of company. He was unsure of what he was doing, um, but he's took a massive step forward from his Newbury run. Um, and he's mentally grown up a lot from that as well. So he's, um, I think, um, he's as, he's as, he's, he could be as, um, as good as his brother, if not better. Adam Kirby, a man who enjoyed that great day on ADAR, could enjoy a great day on Rohan, has been riding winners for plenty of people of late and is uh, finishing the season with a bit of a flourish.
Tell you who else is finishing the season with a serious flourish, Cornelius, is, is Roger Varian. Confirmation the elder elder of his St. Ledger winner would head to take on his elders in the long distance race sponsored by Kipco on, on Saturday. And Roger Varian, very well represented through the card. You know, I think there'd been a bit of ooing and erring, wasn't there? We, we, we want to be absolutely 100% before we commit uh, the St. Ledger winner to taking on True Shannon Co., and the very fact that that will be happening is is a a, a great part of the whole day. And I, th- I think some are, some slightly question the how meaningful the the championships are these these days compared to once upon a time. Not least because the jockeys' championship uh, runs just from May until till now until Champions Day. But it's a great story. William Buick uh, winning it, winning it by sixty plus from Holly Doyle and Tom Marquand. Actually, there's a there's a nice feature um, on him in the Daily Telegraph newspaper today and a couple of quotes that I really like from him. Someone recently asked what I would tell the younger me about being champion jockey. And I think it would be, why didn't you pull your finger out sooner? I like that quote. Uh, but the, the other thing about Björk, who was this, this tiny uh, fellow when he first went to Kingsclear to what was then Ian Balding's Academy, uh, before Andrew started training, it was Ian. Then he went there as this this tiny boy. I'd met him in the press room at Newbury before that because his dad Walter used to do form book reporting, and he used to bring his sons to the races where they nicked all the sandwiches. Uh, but uh, William then went to Kingsclear as an apprentice, and all those years ago, Ian Balding was so impressed with uh, this this uh, protege that he had a verbal bet with the tote, with Peter Jones, who then ran the tote just after the turn of the century, that William would be champion jockey before he was 30. Well, he's actually 33 and finally champion jockey, but hats off to the tote who have uh, have paid on the bet uh, and uh, the, the money will be going to the injured jockeys fund. So I think that's yet another uh, lovely element to the whole story. And very quickly on championships, Benoit de la Sayette, I think the, the fat lady has pretty much started singing as far as the championship is concerned. He looks uh, certain to beat uh, Harry Davis to be champion apprentice. Great story for Benoit de la Sayette. He's had, to, he's, had, he's had his issues. He's managed to put those behind him and be champion jockey. So hats off to him. And the trainers championship, which may well be dis- decided through all the prize money on Champions Day, though technically goes on to the end of the year. You know, whether, whether it's Charlie Appleby, whether it's William Haggis or whether it's possibly the Gosdens, uh, you know, if it is particularly Haggis, there'll be a lot of neutrals cheering him on. It'll be first time he's got it. And he will have built himself up from not that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, not being the biggest powerhouse in, in Newmarket to being one of the great powerhouses in Europe. So if Haggis could do that, that would be a tremendous story as well. All right. So looking beyond... Uh, Champions Day, and we'll be then building towards the the Breeders' Cup. Uh, first weekend in November at Keeneland in Central Kentucky, which is where I was earlier in the week. I spoke with Jane Chapelheim this morning. She trained Saffron Beach, who ran a disappointing race when defending her or trying to defend her son Chariot Crown at Newmarket. She came back with a, a lung full of muck, and she's been on antibiotics since. But she's completed the course, and she's cleared up nicely. Jane said to me this morning, decision as to whether she will get on the plane to to Kentucky will be made after she's done a piece of work on Tuesday, when intended rider William Buick will will take the mount and he will report to connections the the wiggins and the sangsters and then they will make a call as to whether she flies to kentucky 
And another that is bound for Keeneland at the beginning of November is Dream Loper, uh, Jill Gray, a Group 1 winner trained by Ed Walker, who's who's with me now. Um, Ed, first of all, I, I sort of put it to you that this is the, the most unheralded multiple winner at the top level just about anywhere in the world. Um, that might not last for long, though. Well, I think... Um... I think the the Dispahan was probably um, regarded as, as a slightly um, substandard Group One, if there is such thing. Um, and then, obviously, the sort of tragedy um, of Charlie Appleby's horse um, in the Mooland, I, I think, sort of overshadowed her achievements. So, I think, yeah, I think you're right. She probably she probably isn't quite getting the credit she deserves. Um, but I mean, she is rated officially 120 now, which. Um, says a lot, you know. She went up seven pounds for that win in the Moonlight, and um, yes, if she goes and scores in Kentucky, I think there'll be a there'll be no doubting. I mean, no disrespect, for example, but she would go into a Breeders' Cup more credentialed than, say, a, a really, really good filly like Audaria was before she went and won the race a, a couple of years ago. I say that, but did the Prix de Moulin, did the win in the Prix de Moulin over a mile? Make you think twice about which race to run her in at Keeneland, whether it was the the filly and mare turf or the or the mile itself. Yeah, we're keeping a close eye on it. I'm keeping in touch with Josh Christian, and you know she's she's you know she's beaten she's beaten some exceptionally good colts over a mile, um, and uh, you know I, I it's, it's that that question, isn't it? Do you go do you go into what might be a weaker race? Or do you go into the race where she's going to run to her best? Um, and I personally think in the mile, um, she'll probably run to a slightly higher level. Um, because I just really think the fast pace over there, um, the turns, and I can just see her hitting the line really, really well over a mile. And I'd, I'd be slightly concerned um, going back up in trip after such a brilliant performance over a mile in the Moulin. So you think so, e- so you think even an American nine furlongs would well run would just just push the the, the, the edge of her stamina. Well, it just I mean I don't know. It will be. Look, she's won she's won a a, a Dahlia over nine and a and a Dispan over nine, um, but they weren't well run, and certainly the the Dispan wasn't. And it was really that explosive turn of foot that just the you know, put them all to the sword in that race. And and I think uh, uh, an end-to-end gallop, um, you, I, I'd probably just be slightly nervous about how well she'd see it out. And, and um, you know, especially, I, I was so adamant that she would stay 10, you know, even after the disappointment in Ireland, then in the Nassau, I was so confident she'd stay. And she clearly didn't stay 10. Um, so... Yeah, I, I'm just slightly nervous about going back up on trip. So, I, I, to be honest with you, I think we're probably leaning more towards the mile, regardless of the fact that it might be the stronger race. And she's really made made great strides this season. What would you attribute that to? Um, funnily enough, uh, her dam, Livia's Dream, was the first filly I ever trained. And she, um, she won a listed race in November as a five-year-old. Um, I had to beg Olivia Hoare to keep her in training every year because I always felt that she was getting better. And, and she really hit her peak at the end of her end of her five-year-old season. And, and I think it's just a slow-maturing family. And um, I think combined with the work that Molly Stratton, who rides her every day, she's, you know, she's not the most straightforward of fillies. She used to be a very hot filly. And um, 
and Molly's really sort of just built up an amazing relationship with her and, and uh, you know they, they get on extremely well she's a much more relaxed filly now um, she's settling better in her races as a result and, and I think that's really what's seeing her uh, reach these new heights and um, I, I note that the ground was officially recorded as good to soft both times she she won her group ones at uh, Lanchon. The French going descriptions, I no disrespect, I don't really trust them the same way that I do English and Irish ones. Um, I, what was the ground? Quick on both <laughs> both occasions, especially in the disband, it was very quick. Yeah, the French going descriptions this year have, um, have, have are best ignored, um, to be honest with you. Um, it's been very fast ground all summer in France. From the we've had a number of runners over there, and there's been nothing but but quick ground. Um, yeah, she. Uh, yeah, I, I would be concerned about if, it, if the ground went too soft. Albeit she ran well in pretty soft ground in the Sun Chariot last year. Um, but again, that would be another reason why I'd probably lean more towards the mile. If it did become a bit of a test, a stamina test, I'd rather be going eight than nine and a half. And Kieran Schumacher's been riding her. Is he going to ride her again? Well, hopefully, as, as long as he, he's mending properly um, after his fall at Chepstow and he broke his collarbone. So, yeah, he he was in the other day and um, he, he seems pretty confident that he'll be back. You know, yeah. um, well, he's got some, he's got, he, he's got, yeah, he, he, he won't be long out of the saddle, will he? No, hopefully not. So I'm not actually sure anything's been said yet whether he's coming back. But, um, but no, he, he, he's pretty confident he'll be fine. And Kieran's been another another reason, really. I think I think he's gone on exceptionally well with her. Um, I think that's another reason why why she's again hit these new heights. Now, this week the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington is uh, host to the retired racehorse project Thoroughbred Makeover. To tell us a little bit more, I'm joined by broadcaster. Uh, Jonathan Horowitz. Jonathan, you're on your way there, or you're there now to, to broadcast this event. Just tell us what's, what's happening. We're at the Kentucky Horse Park, and there's about 400 former racehorses that are here to compete across a variety of disciplines, from eventing to polo to dressage, show jumper, show hunters. And these are all racehorses that have had less than a year of retraining, and there's a whole range including a former Breeders' Cup champion who won the Breeders' Cup sprint just down the road at Keeneland in Whitmore. So excited to see these courses that we've followed and cheered on during some illustrious racing careers. And now to get the chance to see them compete in other sports and, and do quite well in that. And you obviously pretty close to the the retraining of, of racehorses seen in the in the United States. So it, it strikes me just for a little bit from the outside that this is something that's gathering significant momentum, um, particularly since the pandemic. Would that would I be right? Huge momentum, and particularly through this event and through the work of the retired racehorse project. I mean, it's been very personal for me coming from a horse racing background, commentating horse races to getting the chance to announce this event the first year that it was here at the horse park in 2015. And I was inspired to learn how to ride because it was amazing to see these horses that I had followed now all of a sudden be doing something new. And, and I looked out there and I said, Oh, I, I want to learn to do that, which is both the hardest and most rewarding thing I've, I've ever done. And now the thoroughbred has come back into 
popularity, you know, in the the 60s, 70s, 80s, the, the thoroughbred was the sport horse of choice, and then the influx of the warm blood breeds. But now, because of the great aftercare organizations, because of events like the thoroughbred makeover, the jockey club thoroughbred incentive program, now people who are looking for their next you know, show jumper or dressage prospect, they're saying, you know what? that's going to be on the racetrack because the thoroughbred is such an athletic and dynamic and versatile breed. So it's, it's had a huge impact. Jonathan, finally, which personalities from the, the racing industry can we expect to be, be shining over the next few days? Well, how much time do you have? Um, not just to name a few. Um, obviously, to see a Breeders' Cup champion in Whitmore is amazing. Uh, Finnick the Fierce is a horse that was on the Kentucky Derby Trail in 2020. Uh, a long shot who had done well in stakes races and also quite captivating because he, he only had one eye and because of, of his underdog story. And then there's some international interest, a uh, group stakes winner in Hong Kong named Ethero. So his journey from being bred in Australia, racing in Hong Kong, now coming to the United States, and then to see some stakes horses who are going to be working in competitive trail and doing ranch work and, and just the, the different dynamic that, that these horses that have done so well on the track can bring into their next chapters of their lives. Uh, my thanks to Jonathan Horowitz News there, a very important initiative taking place in Kentucky at the moment, back at Tattersalls, which is where our uh, attention has also been focused for much of the last couple of weeks. I'm joined by John O'Connor from Bally Lynch Stud. They sold two of the top three lots uh, yesterday. Uh, John the sale continuing apace and showing no signs of, of, of slowing. Congratulations. Just tell me about your, your day and the horses that you sold. Uh, thank you, Nick. Yeah, it was a great day for us yesterday. And uh, it has been a couple, good couple of weeks as well, uh, both on the racetrack and in the sales ring. So, yeah, we, we were very pleased with how everything has gone. Oh, and what were the, the two horses in question? Yeah, so the top price filly yesterday was the uh, Lope de Vega filly out of Galatea. So she's a homebred filly. We've, we've had the family for, I think, three generations now. Uh, I bought her third dam, uh, Ingebel, from uh, her owner, breeder, trainer, Tom Lacey. And uh, she's been a very influential broodmare in the, you know, in, in the recent history of Valley Lynch. And... Uh, her daughter's bred a breeder cup winner in Chrysalium, and this is a Gal- Galileo, Galileo sister, Galileo, to uh, Chrysalium called Galatea. And uh, her first fold is a, is a very promising two-year-old colt by Lope de Vega called Oviedo. So he gave a very nice update for this filly. We've talked about Oviedo on the podcast before. Uh, Ed Bethel rates him very highly and thinks the run in the Goss Million was all wrong, so could yet get, get further updates. And, and how about the other horse that made money yesterday? Once again, uh, it's, a, it's a homebred, a colt by one of our other stallions, New Bay. Um, this one's a factor of folklore as a filly we raced in partnership with David Highland. And uh, it's a family we've had now for a couple of generations also. Um, it looks like uh, factor folklore is going to develop into a really important broodmare. Our first fold is a filly called uh, Statement, uh, who... Mm-hmm. Since the catalogue was printed, has won two black type races, a listed race, and a group three by five and a half legs. So she's made a very promising start. Her three-year-olds are called by by make-believe called Self-Belief, who I think is, you know, he's a highly promising called one first time out of the Curra. He runs in a stakes race over the weekend. Hopefully he can further update the family.
Yeah, a statement must be as tough as old boots because she won two stakes races in the space of about four days as well uh, the other day for, 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 for Joseph O'Brien. You, you're a seasoned observer. You've been in this game an awful long time, John, with, with great success. Just tell me in the round what you've made of the last few weeks and why you think the money's been flying as it has. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult to assess why, you know, in the in the face of, you know, global challenges that the uh, bloodstock industry drives on really well. But I think the last couple of weeks have probably shown us that this really is a global business. So when currencies change, you know, it, it might change the balance of things a bit. But, you know, when you're dealing with international markets, we've, there have been a lot of... Uh, strong players here from the United States and the dollar is strong. There've been plenty from the Far East, the Middle East. You know, it's not confined to any one country. Uh, so I think that's got had a big influence on why it's so strong. I think there's money here from right all over the world. Well on yesterday, John. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you, Nick. All right, Cornelius still with me. Cornelius, front page of the Racing Post today. Barry Hearn, the famous uh, sports promoter and um, with his wife, Susan, very successful breeder with their mascal stud in Essex has once again, it's not the first time he's done this, called for stronger leadership in the sport. He says he runs his sport like a benign despot, a dictator. We've heard this before as well. And he's clearly <laughs> unimpressed with the with the way racing's you know, government by consensus. Now, racing's trying to change its governance structure. And I'm sort of thinking, well, it's not as if everybody doesn't realise this already um, and well, hasn't, hasn't tried. Uh, this is a time for bravery. It needs strong leadership with better evaluation and support. Well, uh, I think there'll be people sneering at this because they see darts in a headline and uh, racing in a headline and say, you know, we're, we're, we're streets apart. I think he makes one or two quite interesting points. People will be stung in racing that, that uh, darts and racing are in the same headlines. But some of the things he says, uh, that they are what other people have been saying, what we have said, you and I have said on this podcast, time for bravery, time to roll up sleeves and get stuff done. Uh, so um, it's well worth reading. Um, uh, but uh, as some people agree, some people won't. But I think there are perhaps more good points than than lesser points, though he's uh, he does draw comparisons about attendances. And that's something, you know, darts attendances up, racing attendances down. Why is it? And that is, I think, probably food for thought. He doesn't offer a, a particular solution, though. Yeah, but uh, if, what are we talking about here? If we, if we were only talking about the... Well, that's the, the point, the isn't it? If we're talk only talking about racing's festivals, Cheltenham, Aintree, uh, Royal Ascot, York, Goodwood, Jul you know, July, you're actually doing pretty well on attendances. It's the kind of rest and some of the other Saturdays that haven't performed so well. Now, are we comparing that against all... Of, are we comparing all of racing against all of darts? Or are we comparing all of racing against the very top level tournaments that Barry Hearn puts on in the in the darts arena? You know, it's it's it's, a, it's a, Barry is one of the great promoters, not just of darts, snooker, and boxing, but of himself as well. But there is, there, there, I thought there was one quite um, good thing. The most important thing is creating an atmosphere. There is nothing worse than going somewhere with just two men and a dog there. It devalues that product and the sport. There'll be a lot of people who say, "Oh, not." him going on about something again i think they're in within that piece it's well worth reading because there are one or two interesting points i think he's right about atmosphere i think he's right about ambiance generally what what sort of feel do you want to create from a race day um anyway that's that's one for another day perhaps we'll we'll explore next time i was at the mccoys last night hosting that with um was it good fun? 
Yeah, it was great. Um, and Jill's such a, a brilliant professional, a great broadcaster to work with as well, as you know, and some wonderful award winners. Outstanding achievement award. He, he just retired from the saddle. He's now assisting Henry de Bromhead, uh, Robbie Power. Eminently likeable and a great career. You've summed it up. Eminently likeable, tremendous career. Part of history when riding Silver Birch to victory in the Grand National that signaled the arrival uh, on the big stage of Gordon Elliott. A really fruitful link over many years uh, with uh, Jessica Harrington, but also with the Tizard family as well. Uh, literally hundreds of winners on either side of the Irish Sea. Um, he'll be remembered, uh, his riding career will be remembered for lots of, uh, of good stuff. I'm going to throw a horse into the, a name into the arena that wouldn't be necessarily the first that uh, people necessarily mentioned, but Super Sunday. I love Super Sunday, uh, trained latterly by Jesse Harrington, won the Coral Cup, uh, the Irish Champion Hurdle, the Aintree Hurdle as well. And I always thought never quite got the credit uh, that the horse deserved, but lovely horse ridden by a lovely guy and uh, good luck to him. And I'll also make special mention of, of Clifford Baker, who spoke very movingly, the long-serving head lad and right-hand man to trainer Paul Nichols, without whom Nichols could surely not have achieved exactly what he has over the last two and a half decades. Uh, he gave a, a lovely speech up on stage. Uh, just one final thing I need, Cornelius, and that is a tip for today. I'm going to take you to the northwest of England, to Carlisle, the 245, uh, the Valley and Viner Brooks Memorial Handicap Steeplechase. And there's a horse there called Court Dreaming, trained by Nicky Richards. Uh, this horse has won this race before, been second before as well. Nicky Richards isn't having many runners at the moment, uh, but they're all winning. And I just love, and you'll enjoy this as well, in the racing post today, uh, our media colleague, Jonathan Neeson, uh, writes at the end of the analysis of Court Dreaming, makes more appeal than most. I can just hear him saying it. Cornelius, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it tomorrow on the eve of Kipco British Champions Day. That was Thursday, October the 13th, and the sun's coming out. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.